We're so hot. Oh my, I forgot that Ferris wheels are actually kind of scary. From the top of a Ferris wheel in Des Moines, Iowa, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. Today, the Iowa State Fair. What this time-honored tradition tells us about the race for the Democratic nomination. Ah, we're so high. Right now, it is 9 a.m. We're here in the middle of the Iowa State Fair, and things are just starting to get going. Places are opening up, and we're trying to get breakfast. And we're gonna have a, I am going to have a corn dog kind of breakfast. You can have the foot long for seven, or you can have the $5 one. We sell pork shanks, we sell Kool-Aid, we sell tenderloins, waffle fries, and everything. Fried pickles, yep. So we just got here and we are looking for Holly Bailey, a political reporter for The Post, and she's been here since the beginning of the fair, following around with candidates, trying to talk to them, talking to voters. And so what I want to know from her is what is it like being here and what do you learn from the Iowa State Fair? So how have you been? Good. I've been here for since the day the fair opened. Um, it's it's now slowed down a lot. So this this is not your first time at the Iowa State no. Fair. No, no, it is not. I've been covering the Iowa State Fair since 2007. So I'm here. I've been here every four years since then. Wow. So when you're here, what are you trying to get when you come to the Iowa State Fair? Is it about like seeing how the candidates are navigating the space and, and how they're finding a way to like have a human moment with voters? Or is it more about talking to voters and seeing what they are thinking, how they're feeling? Or what, what are you trying to get? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, just to step back, Iowa is a state of three million people and a million people or more come to the fair every year. It's a huge event. Um, and I think people think everyone in Iowa is sort of lining up to go to political events. And that's not true. You do get a large segment of people who come to the fair who are politically savvy, but haven't necessarily seen all the candidates and they're seeing them for the first time. So you do want to talk to people and sort of gauge what they're thinking about the race, especially this year when there have been so many candidates. Hello, Iowa. I'm at the Iowa State Fair. Woo! <laughs> Thank you, Iowa. You know, we're entering this sort of final few months before the caucuses. And, and the Iowa State Fair is kind of this political tradition where it divides up the months before where people are sort of getting their ground operation together. Around the fair and then into Labor Day is when you start seeing the sprint, when you see people start spending even more time here. You know, obviously, I'm always curious about the human moments because this is a chance to see these candidates up close and how do they interact with people. But I, you know, one of the things I wanted to see here is to just sort of get a better idea of what the ground game is like here for these candidates. Like, how many volunteers do they have? What is the enthusiasm? And so, for example, you know, on the first day, Joe Biden was here, and he had people out with clipboards, and they were all these kids, and, you know, when people would come up to them, you know, the volunteer would say, I just moved here from Delaware. So that's one hint of who is staffing Joe Biden's campaign here. But then, you know, people would get sort of gripey because they didn't have stickers or signs or that. <laughs> sort of thing and I you know overheard the staff saying well go to our website you can buy them there and that did not go down very well with this little grandmother. The whole point of you being here is for us to get stickers. 
Amelie came out, she had stickers, they had far more people with clipboards sort of around taking names. Elizabeth Warren arrived here with fans that she handed out to people, which was very important on an 85 degree day where people were sweltering in the heat. And then Bernie Sanders came out and his volunteers tossed out t-shirts and you just sort of get little hints like that. I mean, it's not like you can immediately say this is the defining example of what the ground game is here, but it is a good chance to sort of get some insight into what's going on here. What's um, happening behind yeah, the scenes. Yeah, six months, five, six months before people actually start to vote. <laughs> on the soapbox, I'm so excited to be here and thrilled. And I just want to thank everyone here because this is one of the great American traditions. Tell me about the soapbox speeches. Is it a literal soapbox that people are standing it, on? It used to be a literal soapbox. And then it's gotten much more elaborate over the years. Now it is a full-on stage, surrounded by hay bales. And this uh, is something every candidate does. Every candidate does. There are, every candidate's invited. Not every candidate does it. Donald Trump didn't do it in 2016 or 2015. Hillary Clinton didn't do it. They both cited security issues. But this year, almost everybody did. And you get 20 minutes to give a stump speech and take some questions from the audience. And sometimes it is like a candidate's regular stump speech, but sometimes they kind of mix it up a bit. By the time I graduated from high school, my family didn't have the money for a college application, much less to send me off to four years at university. Elizabeth Warren, she talked about her background growing up in Oklahoma and, you know, the struggles that sort of defined her early life and the way that that's defined her run for president. Everybody's been sort of out unveiling rural policy plans in recent days, and so they've taken the advantage to sort of pitch that. We have a plan to help grow jobs, to help grow population, uh, and to help grow infrastructure that's going to make sure rural America can actually succeed going forward. One of the things that was interesting about this week is that it seemed like the question du jour from the reporters and then sometimes from people from average Iowans was asking about guns. And, and one of the things that I was curious about how the fair would go this year is it's come after several tragedies of mass shootings that have been really emotional for the country and an emotional debate. And I wondered how that might shape how candidates behaved at the fair this year. I come from a very rural state, like Iowa, and God knows how many people in my state own guns and do hunting. But like every other person in this country, they are repelled and appalled by what they have seen. People of Vermont, people of rural America, people of urban America, gun owners, non-gun owners, want gun safety legislation. I feel like the idea that all of these candidates show up here, try to meet like regular Iowans, feels really weird in some ways because... There aren't that many spaces where people are actually like politically persuaded in real time, you know, that like people have their ideas of like who they're voting for, what they're voting on. And it seems like a lot of people are really open minded. Did, did you feel like you talked to anyone who changed the way that they felt about candidates just from their interactions here at this fair? Well, I think there were a lot of people, for example, Pete Buttigieg arrived here at the fair. And I think, you know, one of the things that has been sort of the perception about him is that he's this very smart, super intellectual guy. And, you know, he's been sort of off the trail raising money to sort of get ready for this, this next, these next several months. And so Iowans, even though he's been here, he hasn't been here as much as the other candidates. And so I noticed, you know, some things that his campaign did, like he rode a shuttle bus here 
instead of driving like in an SUV like many of the other candidates did. And on that bus, he talked to all these people and it happened to be these farmers who were, you know, coming into town to go to the fair that day. That makes an impression on people. What's that? Well, I ride, well, I can't say no to that. Of course I'll ride this slide with your son. I don't know what it means, but, uh, but I will do it. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, ma'am. He rode the slide, and um, you know he's not the first. He looked like he was having a lot that. of fun on the slide. He did, and his, the rest of his staff went right down behind him. And there were people behind me going, "Oh my God, that's Mayor Pete!" And you know, people asking, "Who is that guy, Mayor Pete?" I think one of the reasons he was doing that is sort of the counter to this narrative that he's just this smart guy who isn't maybe like a normal guy like the rest of us. The images of that, you know, the people, the impressions of people walking around and saying, I saw that guy, I think people discount it. But that's a really big deal here. It's a really big deal. When you were coming today, were you like, oh, I got to see the corn kernel? <laughs> yep, yep. we like, we got to put our corn in. It's been like this the whole fair, a steady stream. I, I was saying the other night, it's hard to tell where the line ends for the pole and the and the fair begins. It just seems like a fun thing to do. I mean, what what says Iowa State Fair than casting your kernel on the Grand Avenue concourse? This year we're choosing the next president. My name is Doug Sawyer. I work for Channel 13, the local TV station, and since 2004, we've been sort of surveying the fair-going public by asking them to cast their kernel. So I'll give them a kernel of corn, and then we'll ask them to put it in a mason jar here on the Grand Avenue Concourse at the Iowa State Fair. It's kind of a fun way to gauge the interest and level of excitement for the upcoming election. How, how scientific do you think this polling format is? Oh, it's highly unscientific <laughs> and mostly fun. Um, but I will say there's a kernel of truth to this. We've, we've, had, we've predicted uh, President Obama's win in Iowa. We predicted the most recent governor's race. It's pretty close right now. It's 51% for Republicans and 49% for Democrats. So both bases seem to be active either in supporting their candidate or choosing a new one. President Trump has remained the overwhelming favorite in the Republican side. He's, he's had a 97% to 3% to Bill Weld. Bill Weld is still on his first jar, right? And uh, uh, President Trump has filled 23 jars, and he's on his 24th. Tell me what the, what the current status is in terms of who's, who seems to be having the momentum in the, in the kernel polling. It's actually quite interesting because... When we started this last Thursday, Joe Biden was off to a big lead in the Democratic Party. He had as much as 36% um, in the first couple of days. And since that time, you know, we've had visits from Mayor Pete and Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker and, and Senator Gillibrand and Kamala Harris. And it's gotten much tighter. It's, it's a much tighter race. So Elizabeth Warren's in the mix. Uh, Mayor Pete's in the mix. It's gotten much tighter. Um, I was wondering if you could just uh, circle whoever you recognize here among the candidates. And we're just trying to... I know yeah. them all. Oh, you know them all. Perfect. <laughs> that, I follow That is uh, data we're looking for as well. My name is Kevin Ermacher, and I'm a graphics editor for politics. That means that I am focused on visualizing information, specifically uh, 
data visualization having to do with election results. Let me see. What I'll do is I'll pick the one that... X out the ones you don't really No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, actually, I don't know him. Okay. I traveled to Iowa for the state fair, and we had all 24 of the sort of major candidates on a piece of paper. And so we just kind of went around and asked folks to identify them. No names on the paper. We just asked them, based on the face, can you name these candidates? I have them kind of memorized in a weird way, so is that right if I, do I, can I go yeah, out, of go out of order? Okay. Yeah, well, however. So we've got Joe Biden. Corbyn. I believe everyone we talked with knew Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Some of the other top-tier candidates, like Warren and Harris. And so you love Harris. I do. I love Elizabeth Warren, too. They'd be my dream ticket. And uh, many people knew uh, Pete Buttigieg. Most people knew them. Then we had sort of a bunch of candidates who have been in the debates that people were familiar with enough to say their name, but maybe not everyone knew who they were. When I we try to do our duty and keep up, yeah. it's a big field. There's so much to manage. And then we'll read something. It's like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot he or she is running. And it's hard. They're all compelling. And then there were four people on our sheet who were never in the debates. Three of them, no one really knew. There were there was maybe one or two people who circled those people and knew their name. But one, uh, Tom Steyer, who joined the race about a month ago, a lot of people knew who he was because he's been just blanketing the airwaves with ads. And so he was able to increase his name recognition that way among the people that we that we talked with. I wish it would get narrowed down and then people could start concentrating on who they like the best and we can start really getting some issues solved. Hello! This is our very last soapbox. This will be our 23rd candidate of this cycle in the last week and a half. So thanks for turning up and now without further ado, Representative Seth Moulton. Well, thank you. Thank you. You know, I would like to get quickly to your question, so I'll try to keep my stump pretty short. But I was speaking at a factory in my district back in Massachusetts not too long ago. And then I opened it to questions, and there was silence. No one had a question. And I said, look, I'm... I'm a politician, I can take tough questions. Don't be shy, ask anything you'd like. And then finally a woman in the back raised her hand and she said, who are you? <laughs> and so it was a lesson that before you take questions, take a little bit of time to introduce yourself. So today we met up with Seth Moulton, member of Congress who is running for president. I served four tours in Iraq leading Marines in the infantry on the ground. So Seth Molson is running on this idea that he can be the candidate for all kinds of Democrats, and even for some more moderate Republicans. We need to bring together a remarkably diverse coalition. And we gotta get everybody to turn out. We can't leave anybody out. And right now he's not doing super well in the polls. He actually hasn't gotten past 0% in like any of the major polls that people are, are talking about. What I didn't mention is what does polling say months before anyone's going to the polls because that's, I don't think that's the best way 
to choose a nominee to take on Trump. And there kept being all these times where Seth Moulton was was talking to a voter and there were a bunch of cameras and, and journalists around him. And then a random person who was just passing by would turn to me and they'd be like, who is that? What do you guys got going on? <laughs> you can talk to him if you want. Who is it? Seth Moulton, he's a member yeah, of Congress. Oh, hey, how you doing? I'd be like, oh, that's Congressman Seth Moulton. And he'd be like, what, is he running for something? And then I'd be like, yeah, he's running for president. And they'd be like, I haven't seen him anywhere. I haven't seen him in the debates. And I'd be like, yeah, because he hasn't qualified for any of them. I saw his name at the Democratic Party booth that he was going to be here. I was unfamiliar with his name. I asked if he was in one, any of the debates. Just because of scheduling stuff, he could only make it to Iowa the second weekend of the Iowa State Fair. And so it kind of ended up that he was this lone straggler at the fair trying to get people to pay attention to who he is and why he's running for president. And so we just wanted to see what that looked like. When you're so far away from the lead, like, how do you try to make Iowa work for you? Can I have a pork belly on a stick, please? Yeah, $7. $7? I'm Seth Moulton. I'm running for president, so I'm here checking out the Iowa Fair for the first time. <laughs> first time? Yeah. Oh. Well, 2019 is a big year for baking balls. So. <laughs> <laughs> Most folks are like, hey, you're not pulling high enough, whatever. I, I like the message, and I just wanted to Thank say you. thanks. Thank so, you. Keep it I the good appreciate work. that. Have a good one. Nice to meet you. My, I guess my question, I've been a Democrat, but I switched over because I'm tired of the dirty politics. Okay. All they want to do is fight. You know? Well, I think that, you know, look, I'm in this race because I think I can win. Um, okay. My job was in the Marines to bring together this very diverse group of Americans, including a lot of Republicans, a lot of independents, right. to get them united behind a common mission. Right. And there that's you the go. kind of unified leadership I think you should have. The last underdog who won here was a guy who people knew, Barack Obama. Why do you think you're going to make any inroads here if you're not campaigning here? You're going to I've been campaigning here. here for the last several days. Uh, so I've been, I did a, 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 a town hall at Fox Brew Hall last night. I would have loved to see you there. So I have been campaigning on the ground in Iowa. I've also been spending time in, in New Hampshire. I'm going to South Carolina uh, later this week, and I was in Nevada uh, just a couple weeks ago. So I'm hitting the early primary states. But people don't know I'm who campaigning. you are, which you admit. I just ran it. No, 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 that was a joke. I don't know if you got the joke, but it was a joke. Um, I think a little bit of humor is not a bad thing around here. Um, I mean, I had people talking to me at the urinal in the restroom saying that they're here to hear my speech. So uh, I'm not too worried about that. But thank you. One thing that I thought was really interesting was that Seth Moulton, as he was talking to both voters and journalists, he really, he kept hitting on this point that he's not obsessed with poll numbers and with uh, political donations the way that other candidates are. And that makes him a better, more authentic candidate. But the reality is, is that poll numbers actually do mean something. It means that people are interested in what you're saying and people think that they want to vote for you. And that Political donations mean something, that it costs money to run a campaign and to continue to pay for staffers who can work on your behalf and keep your bid for the presidency going. And honestly, like, what is the election if not a big poll about how many people want you to be president? And so that was something that I was curious to hear from Seth Moulton about. 
I really want to know like what your strategy is to come from very far behind to potentially being a contender. Like, like what is your plan for how that could happen? A lot of people ask me this question in terms of, well, what they're really saying is, what's your big viral moment? And in a lot of ways, I think that's exactly what's wrong with this race right now, that it's so focused on debate metrics and donor qualifications, people literally buying their, their, their way onto the debate stage, that we're missing out on what democratic politics should be about, which is talking to voters. Like that Republican who came up to me who said, I used to be a Democrat, I switched parties, explain to me why I should come back. Those are the kinds of conversations we should be having. I think you're kind of dismissive of polls and individual donors as a metric for you know how, how seriously we should be taking candidates. But at the same time, ultimately, like those are ways to measure how much voters are familiar with the candidate, how interested they are in their message, how much they find that message validating to them. So and- you think if Tom Steyer spends $10 million of his personal wealth buying donations on Facebook, which is essentially just a transfer of wealth from one billionaire to another, you think that's representative of a democracy? Because I don't. I mean, when, I, when I've been on the ground, I mean, I remember going and speaking at a black church in South Carolina. It was the family church of my state director. And a lot of people wanted pictures with me. And I said, hey, you know, social media matters in this race. So do you mind putting these on Facebook? And they looked at me and said, Seth, we don't even have Facebook. A lot of people in South Carolina and rural South Carolina don't even have internet access. And yet I don't think anyone would say that black voters in South Carolina aren't an important part of the Democratic primary. They're an incredibly important part. So, look, I'm not here to complain about the rules in the sense that they're unfair, because I get what they are. But I don't think they're smart. I don't think they make sense for actually picking the best nominee to take on Donald Trump. When you have people who are just social media stars getting on stage. When but that's how makes... a lot of people get elected these days. I mean, ultimately, but is it's, that it's, right? It's, I mean, are you defending whether, Donald Trump? You whether think he's or a not, great president? But he is president. And whether or <laughs> not it's right or wrong, that's how you become but, a successful candidate. Is that you get a lot of people to know who you are. And a lot of doing that is through Facebook, through... through. If you want to tell me, if you want to make the argument that we should duplicate what got Donald Trump elected because he's the kind of person who should be president, then fine, you can, you can, you can have that argument. I, I disagree with that. Uh, I don't think that's what our democracy should be about. I think we should be talking about what matters to voters on the grounds because, because no one out here at the fair came up to me and said, hey, what are your donor numbers? But, they, mean, they but a lot of people did questions. ask you, who are you? They were surprised to know you were running for president. And I feel like that... Who that, asked me, who are we? Who am I? I mean, the people who came up to me said, uh, hey, Seth, uh, thank you for running. There you know, a lot I'm of really who su- asked su- us, who is that guy you. with all the cameras? I haven't seen him before. Was he at the debate? Well, look, of course. I mean, and you look at any of these candidates in this race, a lot of us are, are unknown to the majority of Americans right now. I mean, even the front runners, aside from Biden and maybe Warren and Sanders, are, are not known to most Americans. So that's not a fair metric. You know, what matters is the conversations that we're having, because that's ultimately what people care about. And at the end of the day, if, if the Democratic Party chooses to go the way of the, of the Republican Party and pick a nominee based on social media metrics or based on who can say the most outrageous things, then you know what? I, I don't want to win on those measures because that's not who I am and I'm not going to sacrifice my integrity to win this campaign. The reality is that by the end of this race, of the 20 however many candidates that there are, all of them except for one person will have to decide to... The odds the are against me. You're telling me something <laughs> that's pretty obvious. Yes, I know. But, I know. But what I guess when you're making these calculations of 
How long should I keep going? What would it look like if I needed to decide to stop? What are you thinking about? Like I'm thinking about one thing. And I mean, I guess I'm kind of different in how I approach this because most people think about the politics and the political calculations. I'm honestly just here because I believe in serving the country. And until I don't believe that I'm the best nominee to take on Trump, I'll keep staying in this race. If I get to a point where I just say, look, this is just not statistically possible, it's not possible for me to win, uh, then sure, I'll bow out and I'll support someone else who I think can take on Trump. Those questions of, am I the best person for the race? Is it statistically possible for me to be able to do this? Are those questions that you're asking yourself right now? Oh, I mean, look, you've got to face reality. Of course, you ask yourself these questions uh, all the time. But I also just listen to what voters are saying. And what voters say to me time and time again is, Seth, we need you, hang in there. But the reason why people say hang in there is because they're worried that Donald Trump is going to be harder to beat than many Democrats think. Now we have one more thing from Matt. What is your last name? And now we have one more thing from Matt Collette, senior producer for Post Reports. Matt, what have you been up to today? So we came here to look at what it takes to really establish yourself here in Iowa as a winning candidate. But what I really quickly realized was that everything about the Iowa State Fair is a competition. And so what I wanted to do was go everywhere that wasn't political to find out what it took to be a winner. This way, I think. Agricultural building. I am looking for the agricultural building. I could use the map, but a microphone in one hand and a recorder in the other. So I am going to try to find it myself. Between the farm crops and the vegetables or the horticulture and the fruit, we probably have about uh, 2,500, 2,700 entries. I am Rhonda Magnuson. I'm superintendent of the Agricultural and Horticulture Department. And is there a type of thing that you're sort of would consider yourself a specialist in, the field that you know the most about? Oh, I don't think I'm a specialist. The judges are, quote, the experts. And so they come in and they judge everything. And so what are they looking for? Okay, and uh, produce, they're looking for the prettiest one, uniformity. I call it a beauty contest because we don't taste anything. I think, I'm, I think I'm a little surprised nobody tastes it. Is there anything that gets tasted, or do people chop it up at the end or anything? No. The reason we don't taste it is we judge this on Tuesday, and this is a Saturday. So, therefore, you know, once we taste it, then it's not any good. We have to throw it out. And now, first place for 2019. This is the big one. 356. 356. I'm going to hand you the microphone, and I want you to give your joke to everyone, okay? A man walked into the library, approached the librarian, and said, I'll have a cheeseburger and some fries, please. The librarian looked very confused and said, Sir, you know this is a library, right? Sorry. Cheeseburger and some fries, please. Well, tell me what your name is. Ingrid. And what's your last name? Oakley. And how 
and a half. We're here for a more boring reason than a joke contest, but we're here because of all the presidential candidates who come, and their big thing is they've got to talk about things that are far more boring than jokes, and they have to try to convince people that, like, I'm the person you should support. But, like, you just won a joke contest, and how would you convince somebody who's trying to talk about something that could be pretty boring? What advice would you give them to be pretty engaging on stage? Lots of face expressions and also do expression in your voice. And do you feel like do you feel nervous? Do you have to do you have to think about the audience or do you have to ignore the audience? Like I have to ignore the audience, audience, and I have to pretend like like no one is there. What what did you win for your for the for getting first place? Get a first place ribbon and five dollars. My name is Jim Duong. Uh, I'm doing the chili uh, competition. Have you done it before? Yes, I've been doing this for about five years, and then watching my brother-in-law doing it for you know 15 years before that. And so is this like a brand new recipe? Do you work on it or is this something, do you stick with what works? I stick with it and I kind of modify it just a little bit every year because it's, it's something I like. Just because I don't win uh, every year, I don't mean I'm going to like just abandon it and just try something different. Because, um, you know, the flavor of, you know, the, the people in the country changes. So just stick to what you know, stick to what you like and, and, and just go with it. So that's an interesting thing, and I'm going to extrapolate a little bit. So you are like not trying to, you're going with what you know you can deliver best and not sort of what, what you think is going to be the, the sensibility of the crowd, the, what people are looking for that year. Correct. And so if a candidate can speak to the middle, I think it's going to be good. Right, but I imagine in a recipe you want something that's like not super, super spicy, but flavorful. You don't want bland, but you want flavor still, Correct. Right? Correct. So speaking in Chile, with that that has politics in the background, isn't that cool? For me personally, and I'm Bernie Winkles. It's the spirit of competition. It's friendships that you develop because we come from all different parts of the world around the United States, and when we get together, that's the spirit that we most long for. It's not always the pot that we're cooking. It's the friendships that you make, and in the political world. If they understand the spirit and follow the rules and become part of the community, they have that connection where they can succeed better. That's that's where the disconnection is in politics. And uh, I'm not swaying one way or the other, but I think that's what's needed. If you put a politician in the competition of a chili cook-off, they would learn a lot about the community and people and why are we here competing is it because of the chili pot or is it just being together as a group for the same cause? Thank you. So, we're about to get on this ride called the Sizzler. Okay, Martine, are you ready? <laughs> I'm not ready. No. <laughs> oh no. Wait, okay. Okay, here we go. Matt Collette is the senior producer of Post Reports. He and producer Rena Flores traveled with me to Des Moines this weekend. Hi, Martin Bowers. 
from the Washington Post. What?